Okay. Sit down. Great to be with you here in the great northeastern part of the United States and see what God is doing. And uh, I was just telling the first service that uh, my grandparents lived in Providence, so for years we came up to see them, even though I'm in Oklahoma. But uh, my grandfather came over, and he's an Armenian, came over in 1917, moved to the United States and settled here in Rhode Island. And uh, so every year I would come up and see them. And uh, I haven't been up here actually to go into Providence since uh, I was in high school. So uh, anyway, it's great to be here and see what God is doing in this area. My father uh, joined the Air Force when he was growing up and was stationed in different parts of the world and met my mother in Monroe, Louisiana. So anyway, uh, you know, so they got together and their accents were quite different. And uh, but anyway, after they got married, he moved her to Providence. And so she she just couldn't get along with people because they kept making fun of her accent. So she asked him to move. And so he said, well, where was I stationed that you liked the best? And she said, Enid, Oklahoma. So they got in their 35 Ford, were headed toward Enid, Oklahoma, and ran out of gas in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Stayed there ever since. So I was raised there. But it wasn't too long after they moved there that they were uh, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, so just a great honor. And uh, now to be here and minister the Word of God in uh, this part of the United States. So again, thank you for inviting me. And uh, again, it's just good to be here. I want to mention a few things out on the table. I've got a book out there. This is uh, actually, I dealt one book on the fourth type of ground. There's four types of ground in Mark chapter 4. And we often think if you pass the first three, things are fine. And have you found out that Satan doesn't give up until you die? Okay, then, then the problem, that problems are over. But there's a problem with the fourth type of ground. It seemed like in the first three types of ground, all the problems were external. This one's internal. And that is you did everything right. You prayed right. You trusted in God and it didn't work. It didn't seem to work. And so you go to God and ask him why and he doesn't say anything. So I took up stories from the word of God where seemingly they did everything right and it didn't work. But it does work. The whole essence of the book is don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. Okay, stick with what you know because it has to work. It's God's word. So don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. In due season, you will reap if you just don't faint. That's the essence of the fourth type of ground. And that is don't, don't get discouraged, upset, stick your lamp under a bushel, quit talking about Jesus, you know, making excuses for this weird church you go to for all your friends out there. You stick with what God said because it has to work. So that's called when, when uh, God is silent and doesn't seem to come through for you. So that's out there on the table. My book on marriage, One Flesh has been around for a long time. The church uses it also. But my wife and I came through a great time of, of hard or hard time in our marriage. And uh, so uh, we were both raised in church. And our pastor simply had the idea, if you go to church, everything will be fine. Well, we went to church and nothing was fine. Everything was hard in marriage. And so we finally uh, decided to make our marriage work. And I found books. But the books were all usually just stories about somebody's marriage and a few scriptures thrown in. I said, I want to write a book that's all scriptures with just a few stories thrown in. So that's what this is. This is scriptural insights into everything from dating, uh, marriage, sex, uh, singles, uh, youth, how to teach youth about uh, marriage, and especially uh, out of Proverbs on how to teach them about sex. And uh, what about divorce? All the different questions you might have about marriage. The Bible is very clear cut on all those issues. And God does it without any condemnation. So you can pick up that book out there called One Flesh. And then my, I left all the bad books at home. I only bought the best ones just for you. And uh, how do you think that we're close to the coming of Jesus Christ? 
Oh my goodness, you have to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to think Jesus is coming soon with everything happening. The thing that marks this time period as opposed to every other time period when people thought Jesus was coming, it's not happening in one part of the world. It's happening all around the world at the same time. And so, uh, you know, when is this whole thing going to be taken care of? Well, it'll be taken care of when Jesus Christ comes back. I Listen, I'm a patriot. I love this country. In fact, I miss the, the United States I grew up in years ago. And I wish it could go back. It may not. But the point of it is, is it's not up to me to change my country. It's up to me to vote, to pray for my country. It's up to me to spread the gospel. That's what's going to change hearts and lives of people. I'm very much for getting people to vote. In fact, if you're not going to vote Tuesday, shame on you. Don't talk about our country if you don't go out and vote. You should vote. Vote Bible. Don't look at them. Don't look at how nice their hair looks. Don't look at how nice their personality is. Don't look at their color. Don't look at their whether male or female. You line them up with the word of God and the closest one to the word of God, vote for that person. Vote for that person. So anyway, uh, but, you know, it's not up to us to change the whole world. That's going to be God's job, and that will happen when Jesus comes back. It's up to us to spread the gospel. He's not going to do your job. You don't have to do his. He's not going to spread the gospel, so you don't have to change the world. You're to vote, pray for our country, speak up when you need to. But the best time to speak up is about Jesus Christ and faith in him and how they can have eternal life. And I've told my congregation many times in 33 years, Jesus is going to come back one day and flush this toilet and it's going to be fine. So until then, I can say whatever I want to. I'm flying out in the morning. Okay, so I'll just say it. And so that's available out there. I have a book on business. This is a little book on all the scriptural principles on business found in the word of God. Before Adam got a wife, Eve, even though the first promise to him was he would be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth. The first thing God did was gave him a job. So girls don't date any guy that doesn't have a job. A job was given before they got married. He learned to provide for a woman he didn't have yet. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? planning ahead. So that's called God and the Business Band. It's out there for $5. And uh, of course, Adam had to till the ground. It just simply tells us something. All business comes from the ground. And there may be a curse on the ground, but you are bigger than the curse. So no matter what comes against you, no matter what tax structure, no matter what local government, federal government, whatever government does, God's bigger. And you can prosper through anything because you have Jesus Christ and you have his word. That's good preaching. We could end right there and give a test or give an altar call, but I won't do it. And then there's flash drives. Somebody walked to my table one day and said, you still handle, you still sell cassettes? I said, no. I think some manufacturer had millions of old cassette boxes around. They wondered what to do with it, so they made it into flash drives. So these are flash drives. On this flash drive is, this is the life of David. And I spoke on this for months. And so on this one flash drive is 32 CDs. So this probably has 40, over 40 hours of teaching on it. It's $40 for 32 CDs. You can see the great benefit of this. And this will plug into your hard drive. It'll come up on the screen. You can listen to it on your computer. You can make your own CDs off of it. Uh, you can also plug it in your car because now the newer cars have uh, plugins on them for flash drives. So that's available out there and that will be a great great blessing for you. Open up to John chapter 16, John the 16th chapter this morning. I am traveling. God laid it on my heart some seven years ago that I would be traveling and turning the church over to my son. And he took the church almost two years ago. And it's been a great blessing to see how God has just taken him and used him and matured him. 
And I was flying here, got on the plane in Tulsa. Two congregational members were on the same flight. And they came up and just said, your son is doing such a fabulous job. Well, that just makes me feel great because now I can come here without thinking about what's going on at home. And, uh, but again, I enjoy going to church now, not pastoring. I go to church and people say there's problems in the church. I'll say it's not my problem, it's his problem. So go tell him, don't tell me. And so uh, it's great. I'm now traveling and getting to uh, minister to students. That's the best thing I enjoy is ministering to Bible school students, then to pastors, and then to churches. And what God has laid on my heart is that uh, I needed today for wisdom. And uh, because there's things in the Word of God that don't change. Now, there's lots of things changing. Dress styles are changing and, uh, you know, electronics are changing and communication is changing and all types of things. And music is changing, all that. That's fine. All those things can change. But don't change the foundational truths of the Word of God or the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what I'm out to minister on. I don't want to look like young people, act like young people. Nothing looks worse than a 55-year-old minister in skinny jeans. I do not want to do that. But... The things that don't change is the Word of God. And I want to come in and teach them the foundational truths. The problem is many young people, they are trying to change the foundations. That is dangerous to try to change the foundational truths in our own nation or else in the Word of God. And so uh, the foundational truths remain the same because the Word of God lives and abides forever. God's not in, concerned about how you dress or if you've got lights in the church and flashing lights or whatever. Some people get all upset about that. And, uh, you know, whether or not you dress this way or dress that way, those kind of changes have gone on since the beginning. But the Word of God never changes, and so that's what I'm out to minister on. And uh, there's a story in the Old Testament, and uh, it's found in 2 Kings chapter 4. You can just go look it up later. But Elisha was called to students. Elijah, his predecessor, was called to the masses. He was called to the students. And most of his ministry was done to the school of the prophets. There was one day in chapter 4 of 2 Kings that he was ministering to young ministers. And uh, at lunch he told them go out and get some uh, uh, vegetables in the fields and bring them back and we're going to make a stew. So it says one of the students in great zeal ran out into the fields but didn't know the difference between a vegetable and a poisonous gourd. And he picked up a poisonous gourd, brought it back. They sliced it up and put it into the stew. And while they were eating, one of the young students yelled out to Elisha and said, there is poison in the pot. And Elisha took, and the King James says he put flour in the pot. The Hebrew says he put cornmeal in the pot and it was healed and everything was fine. And that is such a story of today because uh, what's happening today is the older ministers are dying off. I mean, Brother Hagin went to be with the Lord, and you know Charles Capps here a few weeks ago, and T.L. Osborne, Brother uh, Oral Roberts. You start naming these ministers that have been with us for a long time. They're beginning to go. What young people have is zeal. What older people have is wisdom. Now, that's not universal, all right, because I've met some lazy young people and some dumb old people, okay? So it's possible for that not to be totally true. But is what happened is, is the young man in great zeal, and, and he didn't mean anything evil, ran out and grabbed what he thought was something good and brought it back and put it in the pot. It took the wisdom of Elisha to know what to do. Today, the ministers across the body of Christ are being followed after our young people. They're in their 30s and 40s, filled with zeal, building big churches, but they don't have the fundamental foundational truths. 
and they don't know what sanctification is. They don't know what righteousness is. They don't know these fundamental things. And they're teaching some good sermons, but there's some poison they're putting in the pot, not intentionally. It's in their zeal. And what they need is some older ministers to offer wisdom. In a church, you need the proper blend. You need young people and old people there, okay? Old people, we need the zeal of the young people, amen? And young people, you need the wisdom and the finances of the older people, okay? They help keep the church going. And so we need each other to cause a great church because when we talk about generations, don't try to divide generations among the 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds and and call those generations. They are not generations. A generation is who is alive at this moment. And that's old and young. There's the Exodus generation. There's another generation. It's all the people that were alive then. We are one generation. I don't care how old you are. If your heart's still beating, you're part of this generation. And together we conquer, together we move. And so we need each other. And what, and what Elisha did was he threw in cornmeal, nothing exotic. You don't answer exotic doctrine with exotic doctrine. You throw cornmeal in, you throw the basics in. And that's what I'm at. I'm a cornmeal teacher. I am just basic bread and potatoes and meat. All right, but I come to throw those things in and bring balance back into what's being taught today because I believe young people, when they hear the truth, recognize it. They know it and they're searching for it. So if you're searching for it, here we are today. I want to talk to you today and minister to you today on if there's anything that you need in your life, it's patience and, uh, you know, for the will of God. And I want to bring out a scripture to you. Look with me at John chapter 16 and look at verse 13. You know this verse of scripture. Already, But look at it with me. And that is John 16, 13. Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will show you things to come. Two things that is brought out here, the Holy Spirit will reveal is number one, he reveals the truth, which is the word of God. And number two, he reveals things to come. Two things. Truth and things. Truth is the word of God. Notice this mention first. When the Holy Spirit guides, the main way he guides is through the word of God. Revelation of the word. I heard a man say one time, I prayed for guidance. All I got was scripture. Good. That's a good thing. Because we sometimes think that if we think of scripture, that's just us. No, you're too dumb to think of scripture. It had to be the Holy Spirit that brought it to your remembrance. In fact, people talk to me, and I'm sure you probably thought this about your pastor, and you say, Pastor, you just teach so much word. How can we use it all? People come to me and tell me that because we're going to cover a lot of scripture this morning. And they would come to me after church saying, Pastor, my head hurts. I've got so much scripture. You gave me so much. And how am I ever going to use this this next week? I try to use my sermons or the sermons this next week. And I said, don't try to use them next week. Just store them. At the right time, the Holy Spirit will draw something out from years ago. It's like a computer. It's all stored back there in the memory banks. And uh, I had a man come to me one day and told me, he said, I ran into a problem this week. He said, and Pastor, a sermon you taught years ago came to me. And he told me what the Lord brought to him. I thought, no kidding. That's been at least 10 or 12 years ago I spoke on that. But he'd been at the church all that time and the Holy Spirit pulled it out at just the right time. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit's for? His main method of guidance is the Word of God. But not all of your answers are found in the Bible. Is you know, I heard about a man too said one time, I prayed for prosperity. All I got was job offers. <laughs> well, think about that for just a moment. But is it scriptural to have a job? Yes. But the Holy Spirit, or the scriptures don't tell you which job. 
they're not going to tell you because the scriptures don't tell you to go to work for, you know, Hewlett Packard or go to work over here for this company. That's the Holy Spirit going beyond that, showing you things that are outside the word of God because general guidance comes from the word, but specific guidance comes from the Holy Spirit. He can show you specifically what to do. And so that's how he works here around the word of God. And not everything you're looking for will be found in the word of God. That's why, again, I look at it this way, that the Bible is general guidance to everybody. But again, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, his guidance comes to you specifically to show you specifically what you're supposed to do. Is it great to have a call to the ministry? Yes, but what ministry am I supposed to have? Well, it doesn't say Bob except this ministry. The Holy Spirit shows me on purpose what he wants me to do and guides me in that direction. So again, the Holy Spirit gives us specific guidance. The Word of God offers guidance. Let me give you some scripture on that. Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Scriptures give light. But also Romans 8.14 tells us the Holy Spirit gives us guidance. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Look at Acts chapter 2 if you would for just a moment. When it comes to specific guidance, it can be a number of ways. When it comes to general guidance, it's all one way, the Word of God. The Holy Spirit brings a specific scripture to your heart, reveals it, shows you how that applies to your life. But when it comes to specific guidance, it can come a number of ways. Acts chapter 2 tells us this in verse 17. Here, uh, Peter is quoting the book of Joel. And in verse 17 of Acts chapter 2, it says, It shall come to pass in the last days. We are in the last days. In fact, we are in the last of the last days. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision and your old men shall dream dreams. Three things are brought out here. That is prophecy, dreams, and visions. It's simply saying that whenever it comes to if something cannot be found in the word of God, wait patiently on the Lord and he will show you. It could come through prophetic word. It could come through dreams. It could come through visions. It can come by an angel. All these things happened in the New Testament. All these things happened in the book of Acts where dreams were given and visions were given and prophecies were given. And Paul was ministered to many times by angels that came and stood by him during storms and delivered him. Again, we have the different ways that the Lord can bring specific guidance just to you. Paul was in the midst of a shipwreck and there's no scripture dealing with Paul specifically being in a shipwreck, but an angel came and stood by him and gave him instruction. How are you glad we have the same God, same Holy Spirit, same angels, same vision, same dreams, because this is the way God leads us outside of the word of God. I want you to turn with me to the main verse we're going to be looking at, Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24, this story that I'm about to read to you occurred between the two times that Moses went up to the mountain to get the word of God, to get the law from God. He has been up one time, he's come down, and this story occurs before he goes back up again. He has been up on the mountain for 21 days in the presence of God. During that time, while he was up there, the Lord gave him the Ten Commandments. He gave him scriptures on how to handle servants, how to handle violent situations, how to handle your animals, how to handle property, 
marriage, what to do with the poor, Sabbaths, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, trumpets, atonements, tabernacles, the lampstand, the showbread. Those are some of the things he showed, but this specific thing that happened was not found in those scriptures. God later on gave instruction, but right now when this happened, Moses didn't know what to do. So let's take a look at it here in Leviticus chapter 24. Look with me at verse 10. Leviticus 24, 10 says, the son of a Jewish woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel and this son of the Jewish woman and a man from Israel fought with each other in the camp. And the Jewish woman's son blasphemed the Lord's name and cursed. And they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelemith, daughter of uh, uh, Dibri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody or they put him in jail until the mind of the Lord might be known to them. Now, we don't know much about this young boy, but apparently he lived with his single mother. It's said that his father was an Egyptian. It could be that the father never came over with the children of Israel, but remained back in Egypt. It could be that the father was a slave owner and the mother had been a slave and she had a son through this master. It could be that this man, this Egyptian, came over with the mixed multitude that came over. Because many Egyptians accepted the Lord and came over with the children of Israel into the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. But we're not told here. All we know is, is that the mother was no longer with the father and the boy was being raised by his mother. He got into a fight in the camp. He cursed and then he blasphemed the Lord's name. And so the elders just brought this boy to Moses. And here's the point. Moses didn't have a scripture on this. He didn't know what to do. So he simply took the boy and he put him in custody until he could find the mind of the Lord. Oh, does that speak to us? You have things going on in your life you don't know what to do. The pressure of the world is you need to act now. The pressure of your friends is you need to act now. Especially the pressure of Satan. Satan will tell you, if you don't act now, you're going to miss God. God will never demand that you make an answer now or else you're going to miss him. He gives you plenty of time to find his will and then also gives you time to verify it. He will bring confirmation into your life to show you this is truly his will. And God doesn't mind if you ask him for two or three confirmations. If you really need to know, this is the mind of the Lord. And because it was not found in the scriptures, he had no commandment on this. He put the boy in custody until he could get the mind of the Lord. Folks, you need to have a private little prison where you can stick your problems in that you don't know what to do. And then wait. Wait till you hear the mind of the Lord. Because you know what? I would rather act late than to jump into something too early. I can make up for lost ground, but I can't. It's a hard thing going back and trying to undo what you've done. After all, how do you unscramble eggs? All right. How do you do this? You know, and oftentimes we get into a situation, we realize we acted too fast and we have to try to get out of it and we often hurt lives. Now, what I'm saying here is Moses did the right thing. He put his problem into a jail cell till he could get the mind of the Lord as exactly what he needed to do. So, Again, Israel was now in the wilderness. They were in a place they had never been before. And they were now in a place where they needed to guide every day because there was not scripture on which direction to go. They had to depend on the Holy Spirit. They had to follow a cloud every day. So not everything was in print in front of them. Not everything was etched into a tablet to where Moses could just read it to them. 
They had to know and follow that cloud wherever it went. They had to follow the uh, fire by night. All the different direction that came from God. They had two forms of direction in the wilderness. They had the written word of God and they had the cloud that led them. Much like what we have today. So again, oftentimes we act too quickly and we miss the mind of the Lord. But nothing was written about what to do with a rebellious child. So Moses didn't know what to do. He simply put the child away till he could find out God's will and then receive confirmation on it. Moses had patience. How important that is in the Christian life. How many times are we warned in the word of God you have need of patience? Tribulation works patience. You know, you come through tribulation, you don't have an answer for those things every single day. God doesn't send tribulation your way. Satan sends tribulation. But what God wants to do is for you to walk in patience in the midst of that knowing, I don't care how long this takes, I am coming out on the other side. I'm going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going to die in the middle of it. How often did the children of Israel tell Moses, we figured out your plan, you brought us here to kill us. How often do we think the same thing? Moses didn't bring them there to kill them. They had a promise given to Abraham 400 years before they would end up in the promised land and they throw away God's promise, look at the circumstances and think we're going to die right here on the spot. I have Christians do that. They come to my office oftentimes for counseling and talk to me and say, I just think I'm going to die right here on the spot. I wish I was dead. I often wished I had a gun. Just slide across the desk. Of course, it wouldn't be loaded. But just slide across the desk and say, go ahead, just don't mess up the carpet. But then they go, no, 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 because they didn't mean it. Just like Elijah falling down under a tree, I wish I was dead. He didn't mean it. He was looking for some sympathy. I could just see that. I wish I was dead. God made him a cake and gave him some water. But how often does God treat us in wonderful grace and then we turn around and we start griping again. And so the point of it is, is that God had a plan for them. They just kept, were to keep following the cloud. But the point of it is, is we want to know what's going to happen all the way down to the end of the path. God just shows us a little bit ahead. We want a searchlight from heaven and God gives us headlights. Just shine a little ways down the road. But I can tell you this with headlights, you'll know what to do when you get there. We just want to know ahead of time. So here was the children of Israel traveling through there. And here's something that happened that they had to wait on the mind of the Lord for. Turn to Isaiah 42, if you would. Some things just have to be waited on. Isaiah 42 and verse 16. The Lord says, I will bring the blind by a way they do not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. I will do these things for them and not forsake them. How often do we get in the midst of a troubling situation? We don't know what to do and we think God has forsaken us. He cannot forsake us. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. But just because he doesn't come through at the moment, don't get upset about it. We live in this instant gratification time period. We want everything now. We want 400 channels and we want them right now. So we go through every one of them and then complain at the end of 400 channels, there's nothing on. We want to, if we're hungry, we want to go through the drive-through and we're upset if it takes about a minute longer to get our food in the drive-through than not get it. And so we complain about it. And so everything we want, we want it right now, you know? And so we're like the kids in the back seat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? God is simply letting us know we're not there yet, but his purpose and plan is, is that 
once we start trusting in Him, it's going to take some time, but God's more interested in the trip than He is the destination. He's interested in us growing up between this point and that point so that when the answer does come, I'll be more mature and better able to handle it when it comes. That's why it takes while patience builds character in you. And this is what God is looking for. If we had everything instantly given to us, we'd be spoiled brat children of God. And God doesn't want spoiled brat children. He wants mature ones that will say, if I don't, give an, if I don't get an answer in a year, I'm still going to be trusting God. If I don't have an answer after 10 years, I'm still going to be trusting God. And Satan, I will not be taken off God's path. God will come through. I don't care how long it takes. In the meantime, Satan, when it does come, I'm going to have you on the floor. I'll be standing. I'll win the fight because my God will come through. That's God. That's what God is looking for. So I don't care how long your problem remains in a prison cell. I don't care if the church is talking to you, people in the church, you need to make a decision. I don't care if your husband or wife is telling you, we need to make a decision. I don't care if the bank's calling you, telling you, you need to make a decision. I don't care if the doctor's calling you, saying you need to come by. That last report wasn't good. You need to come on by here now. Don't act until you have the mind of the Lord. It's simply saying here what Moses did, we need to do. Turn to Isaiah 42. Well, you're in Isaiah 42. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. What Moses did was correct. What Moses did was right. But how often do we act too quick? We feel under pressure. We have to make a decision now. And impatience always will make you regret your decision. What Moses did was correct. In the next generation, we have Joshua. Joshua did something wrong in one chapter and corrected it in the next chapter. What happened in chapter 9 of Joshua was that Joshua and the people of Israel were marching from one siege to the next, conquering city after city, and a group of people came to them one day. They came on their camels, they came on their mules, they came on their donkeys, their clothes were torn and dirty, their shoes were worn out, they had water bottles that were empty, they had food that was moldy, and Joshua said, who are you? They said, we're the Gibeonites, and we have come from a long, long way, and we heard this land belongs to you, and he said, well, where are you from? They named some far off country and said, we just want to make sure you're not going to kill us. And, Mo, and, and Joshua said, we're not going to kill you. And they said, well, great. Can you sign this contract saying that you're not going to kill us? And Joshua said, sure. So Joshua signed it without ever thinking they could be tricking him. And so they signed it. They rode away and said, thank you. And the next day, Joshua and all his troops rode over the next hill. And guess what? There was the city of Gibeon right there over the hill. And he had been tricked. And all of, and all of Joshua's counselors said to him, they tricked us. We don't need to honor that contract we signed and Joshua said yes we do because I'm the one that should have prayed I'm the one that should have waited on God I didn't have a scripture for it I didn't know who these people were God never named them and all this other stuff but yet they're in the land I'm supposed to take them they tricked me and how you are glad that if you'll confess your sins God can even turn it around and make a blessing out of your curse you know what happened? Oh yeah, they didn't kill them. God simply said they're going to be your servants from this time on and they will be hewers of wood and drawers of water for the nation of Israel from this time on. They're never even mentioned again later on until the time of Saul when Saul tried to kill him and God came to him and said, no, I made a covenant with these people. But they were left there. And so Joshua learned in that 
time period. He should have looked back to what Moses did. I should have stuck this decision into a, into a jail cell till I knew what to do with it. But he didn't do it. He made too quick of a decision. And in the next chapter, five kings attacked Israel. Five kings band together, made a huge army, and came against Joshua. And by the end of that chapter, Joshua had rounded them up, but didn't know what to do with the kings. So he put all five kings into a cave and rolled a stone in front of it, went out and finished the battle, and then came back and got the mind of the Lord what he should do with those kings. He learned from one chapter what to do. You should profit from your mistakes. We can all look back on times we made a decision way too quick, regret it. Remember that. God can still make a blessing out of it. God can still turn that around. But the point of it is, don't be so stupid next time. Wait on the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Here we have Jehoshaphat. The nation was about to be attacked and the people destroyed. They were so outnumbered, they didn't know what to do. And so in 2 Chronicles 20, look with me at verse 12. Here Jehoshaphat speaks and says, Oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great company that comes against us. Neither do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Oh, what a wonderful prayer. That should be our prayer. In the midst of something we don't know what to do, admit you don't know what to do, but say, I'm not going to do anything till I hear from you. I'm going to wait on you. My eyes are on you. What happened was Jehoshaphat and the people waited on the Lord and the instruction came and the instruction was send the praisers out front. And what happened when the praisers went out front, great havoc happened in the camp of the enemy. Great confusion happened in the camp of the enemy and they did that. Now, I trust you always have your praisers out front, but that may not be your answer. That was God's specific answer to Jehoshaphat for that one battle. We don't find it happening again. But again, we find a principle is that our praisers should always be out in front. But I can tell you this, whatever battle you're going through, wait on the Lord. If you don't know what to do, he will give you direction. God cannot turn away from his word. God cannot fail in his promises to let you know what you're supposed to do. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. And here we have some scriptures on waiting on the Lord. Isaiah 30, look with me at verse 21. Isaiah 30 and verse 21. He says, your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. Notice this. He says, oftentimes you're not going to hear turn to the right or turn to the left till you get to the intersection. We want to know a mile ahead of time. We want to know two miles ahead of time. But have you found out God doesn't often speak to you, get to the intersection, then he'll tell you turn right or turn left. I found this out a long time ago. God is seldom early, but he's never late. I wish he was early. I'd like to know everything ahead of time. But there's times when I don't know till I finally get there and God finally tells me turn right or turn left. Look at Psalm 27. Psalm 27 and verse 14. And here we find that patience produces strength. Psalm 27, look at verse 14. Wait on the Lord and be encouraged and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The longer it takes the more you have to stay in God's word. And when this happens, what happens is, is you become strengthened in the meantime. Look at Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20. This one says, while you're waiting, don't take matters into your own hands. 
Proverbs 20. And look at verse 21. Here he says, you may get an inheritance quickly at the beginning, but the end of it will not be blessed. Do not say, I will pay back evil, but wait on the Lord. He will preserve you. Oftentimes the problems we get into is because someone comes against us and we want to retaliate. And this verse says, don't retaliate because vengeance doesn't belong to you, but vengeance belongs to the Lord. Trust him. And in the meantime, it simply says here that God will instruct you as to what you are to do. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't pay back evil. Wait on the Lord and he will preserve you. Look at Acts chapter 6. I love this verse of scripture. This verse says, even when you get good instruction from people, wait on the Lord. Even when you get good instruction from good people, wait on the Lord. Because good people can often give you something, but it's from them. Or it may be some, something that's worked in their life. That may be good, but it may not be going to work in your life. Look at Acts chapter 6. Here we have when the congregation was to choose out the seven men that would become the first deacons of the church. And notice what the leadership of the church, Peter and James and John, notice what they tell the congregation in verse 3. Acts chapter 6 and verse 3. Therefore, brothers, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. This business was to take care of the widows in the church. Notice the first command is you seek out. We need to delegate. We need to have instructions to people in the congregation. But what the leadership said was you go out and you know the people in the church better than we do. Find seven dependable men. Find them full of the Holy Spirit. Find them full of wisdom. And then bring them to us. And it goes on to say in verse 4, But we will give ourselves primarily to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they, that is the apostles, had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests were obedient to the faith. Look at this. The people took their time, they probably prayed over their choices. They picked the best choices they could find. Two of these men, the very first two, occupy the next two chapters. Because in the next chapters we have the fact there that uh, Stephen became the first teacher recorded in the New Testament. That's Acts chapter 7, the end of the chapter, and also chapter or chapter 6 and 7. The next one is Philip. He occupies chapter 8 as the first evangelist. Started out here just working in the church. But what's brought out is they chose very good. Their choices were excellent. But I want you to notice when they brought them to the leadership of the church, the church leader said, we're still going to pray over them. Don't get upset when you come with great ideas to your pastor and he says, I'm going to pray over it. And then don't get upset if he says, no, we're not going to do that. Because even though it might be a great idea, it may not be a great idea for this church. You've seen it work in other churches, but that's not, this church is not that church. 
I mean, I've had people come to me. And lots of times when people bring me ideas, I'll say, that's a great idea. And we end up incorporating it. But I pray over it first. But there's also ideas I do not incorporate. And some people have got offended and left the church because they thought it was a great idea and I should have heard. And they even tell me, God told me this was right for the church. God doesn't lead groups. He leads leaders. Well, thanks for the rousing amen on that one. And here the people brought great ones. But I want you to notice the dignity of the leadership of the church. They said, this is wonderful. Thank you. But you know what? It could be that you don't know anything bad about these guys. We don't know anything bad about these guys. But the Holy Spirit may know something we don't know and will warn us. So even here, they prayed over something that good people brought to them. So if good people bring you things, there's no indicator. You have to do that. Your main Leadership doesn't come from other people. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Look with me at Acts chapter 13. I love this verse. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. This is when Barnabas and Saul were separated into the ministry of the Lord. And the church leadership was praying at Antioch. And it says in verse 2. As they, that is the prophets and the ministers and apostles of the church that were at Antioch, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, notice this, the Holy Spirit said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Notice this, they kept on praying. Verse 3, and when they had fasted and prayed... Then they laid their hands on them and sent them away. What does this say? Even when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it's okay to pray and make sure you've really heard from the Holy Spirit. Even if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, that doesn't mean you have to instantly run out and do something. I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit doesn't make mistakes, but as a human being, I sometimes don't hear him correctly. And there have been times when the Holy Spirit has spoken and halfway through the sentence, I'm running out the door to do what he said and I never let him finish the sentence. He's going, bop, 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 bop. (laughs) Stay and hear what all he has to say and then pray over it. You know, my son took over the church. And I I was so proud of him. I mean, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, but I I wrestled with that because, you know, I raised him. I know all of his quirks. I know all of his weaknesses. I know his mood swings. I know all those things. And when the Lord spoke to me and said, he's the next pastor of the church, I said, really? Because I know him so well, you know, familiarity breeds contempt, you know, and I had all that, you know, I, I raised him. I was thinking, Lord, is there anybody else out there? He says, no, he's the one. And so anyway, after I prayed over, it, I took him out to lunch and my, my thing was my wife and I, we took he and his wife out to lunch. And I thought, well, at least I know he probably doesn't want it. Cause he said for years, I don't want a pastor. He was working in the church as youth director and missions and all that. And Anyway, we took him out and I said, has God been speaking to you anything about the church? He said, yeah, I've known for a year I'm supposed to pastor the church. Well, that was confirmation, but I wanted more. So as time went on, you know, I'd, my wife and I'd see him speaking of the pulpit and we go, well, there's that mood again. You know, we've seen him go through. So, Lord, would you confirm that? And the Lord confirmed it and confirmed it and confirmed it and confirmed it. I wanted to make absolutely sure I heard from God because I love that church and love those people. I wanted to make absolutely sure this was not some emotional decision I made. I wanted to hear from the Lord and the Lord never chewed me out and says, how many confirmations do you need? He just kept on confirming and confirming. You know why? I wasn't making sure God spoke. I was making sure I heard him correctly. And God didn't get mad at them. He didn't get mad at them at all. The church of Berea, 
is mentioned in Acts 17. And the church at Berea, Paul and his group went from place to place. They came to Berea and they showed them from the scriptures salvation. They showed them from the scriptures God's plan. And the Bible says the Bereans went back home and took the word of God to verify what Paul had said. And Paul didn't get mad at them for second guessing him. The Bible says they were more noble than any church. When you go to the word of God to confirm what God said or what your pastor said or anybody says, God doesn't say that's evil. God says that is good and calls you noble for checking him out to make sure you've heard from him correctly. God will give you as many confirmations as is needed. And that's why here, even when the Holy Spirit spoke, let me tell you how the Holy Spirit spoke. There was no booming voice from heaven. When it said the Holy Spirit said, separate me Barnabas and Saul, he spoke through a prophet. When you get a word from a prophet, and it doesn't seem to make sense, put it in a prison cell till you know it's really God. But because Brother Doodad prophesied over you doesn't make Brother Doodad God. You understand what I'm saying? Man, we had in our church numbers of times, we had Dick Mills come. Dick Mills was a great prophet of God. One of the few I really knew was called to be a prophet and trusted him. He was the most humble man. He would stand up and give some of the most accurate words one after another. He even said to me, just point to somebody. I'd point to somebody and he would have them stand up and read their mail and read where they were coming, read their doctor's name and all the stuff about them. He was the most accurate, but he would always say this. If I tell you something that doesn't make sense to you, don't act on it. He says, wait on it. Cause he said, I'm human. I can still miss it. I never saw him miss it, but he admitted I can still miss it. One time in our church, there was a minister sitting about three or four seats down from me. I knew him. My wife and I knew him. They were friends of ours. And he had him stand up. He said, stand up. He said, you're a minister of the gospel. He said, yes, I am. He said, God told me, you live on a hill. He says, and, and all around you are our homes. And your house sits up there. And he said, your house is like a light on a hill. And he said, people in your neighborhood come to you and get information from you about the ministry because they know you're a preacher and they come and ask questions and you're telling this. He said, God wants you to know you're in the right spot. And I looked at my wife and thought, and I said to her, boy, is that off? They don't live on a hill. They live in a valley. On top of that, they have so many hundred acres. There's not a person around them for miles. And people don't come to them to ask them questions. They did it because they want to be in solitude. They want some solitary time. They want to be away from people because he's a known minister. And after church was over, he came over to me and said, did you get that? And I said, yeah. And he said, boy, was that off. And I said, yes, it was. He said, I wonder what I ought to do. And I said, I'll just shelve it. I wouldn't discount it, but shelve it. Put it over on a shelf and, you know, in other words, put it in a prison cell. There's nothing in the Bible about it. You don't know from the Holy Spirit yet whether that's right or wrong. So just put it over there and forget about it. He did. Later on, it wasn't too long from then, he moved to Florida and was working with another minister in Florida for 10 years. They moved back to Tulsa after that because their kids and grandkids were there. They moved back to Tulsa and they bought a house this time on a hill. Ten years later. They only had five acres this time. They had horses and stuff and everybody around them had five acres. Their house was the only one on a hill. And one night people were coming to their house knocking on the door and said, we understand you're a minister. Could you help us? And they were coming to get counsel. They said they were in the middle of helping somebody. And suddenly the wife looked at him and said, 10 years ago, we got the word of the Lord that we are a house on a hill. And look at what's happened. The timing was later on. Don't run off because some famous prophet lays hands on you and tells you to go to Africa. You wait till you hear from the Holy Spirit. 
A lot of lives have been messed up because we run off too quick. It could be God or it may not be God. But the Holy Spirit will verify to you and give you time after time confirmation that he has spoken to you and will let you know. Again, I would rather be too late obeying God than to be too early and jump out and miss the will of God. Turn with me to one more verse of scripture. Actually, two more verses. This is a Pentecostal ending to this sermon. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and look at verse 19. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Here Paul says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Next of all, do not despise prophecies. But look at this next one, test all things and hold fast to what is good. Everything that comes your way, test it. God doesn't care. In fact, he commands you to do it. Put it to the test. Is this God or is it not? Lord, confirm that this is from you. Don't feel bad because you're having to wait. Don't feel bad because you're having to explain to other people while you're still waiting. Wait until you've heard from God. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are from God because many false prophets are gone into the world. Ephesians 6, 18, in everything... By prayer and supplication in the Spirit, it says, let your requests be made known to God. Turn with me finally to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. What is the best way to wait on the voice of the Holy Spirit? What is the best way to know you've heard from God? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look at verse 4. You know this verse already, but look at it. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. The best way to wait on the Lord and find out the mind of God is to pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit makes you sensitive to the will of God. Listen, praying in the Spirit doesn't make God speak. Praying in the Spirit makes you sensitive so that when He does speak, you'll hear Him. Praying in the Spirit doesn't help God. Praying in the Spirit helps you. Makes you sensitive to His will. In fact, we're told this also in Jude verse 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. Building up yourself doesn't mean that you grow in faith. That comes from the Word. When it says you edify or build yourself up, it means you make yourself sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the best way to do that is by praying in tongues. A number of years ago, my wife was asking, what kind, you know, what kind of gift do you want for Christmas? Because by our age, we have everything. And so it's a struggle to find out what to give her and what to give me. I said, I'd like some of those noise-reducing headphones. You know, those things you put on. I said, man, I've been in airplanes before, and I've got the regular headphones, but you can still hear all the stuff going on in the airplanes. I want to be able to knock that out. So she got me some. And what I enjoyed doing with them was not just only listening to music, just turn them on and just hear the, everything outside just get real quiet. Well, I can still hear what's going on. It just diminishes what's going on inside of the airplane. I got a sermon from that. Praying in tongues diminishes the volume of the world and helps you to cue in on what the Holy Spirit's saying. Because the Bible says there's many voices in this world. Christians are always complaining, but how do I know which is the voice of the Holy Spirit? Pray in the Spirit. It will diminish everybody else and amplify the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will not scream at you. He still comes in a still, small voice. But how do I hear a still, small voice among all these voices of the world? Pray in tongues. That's your noise-reducing headphones. It's where you can hear the voice of God. Can I hear a big amen? Well, I just know this morning, many of you are in a situation where you need an answer. And you're feeling pressed 
You're feeling pressure from your friends. You're feeling pressure from your family. You're feeling pressure from doctors. You're feeling pressure from the legal side. You're feeling pressure from banks. All the different pressures of life that come. And you don't have a scripture on which to stand. And the Holy Spirit hasn't spoken to you yet. And you're getting frustrated. All I can tell you is we're going to find today a prison to stick that thing into until we can hear the voice of God. And I can tell you this again. God is seldom early, but he's never late. He will speak to you at the right time. And even though you think it's way past time for him to speak, when he speaks, everything's going to work out. And once it's all done, you'll be so glad you waited on the Lord. So if that's you I'm talking to today, would you stand up? Because I'm going to pray over you. All of you that will stand up and say, that's me. I'm in a pressure cooker. I, I, I need to make a decision. I felt pressed to make a decision. But you don't want to end up like Joshua that made too quick of a decision. You want to be like Moses that the moment he saw that knew, I don't have an answer on this. We want to be wise. I'll wait just a little bit longer because there's still a few of you that continue to stand. Anybody else? You want to stand this morning and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to hear from the Holy Spirit. But I'm not going to do anything till I hear from him. I don't care how great the pressure. I don't care what people are saying. I just listen to one voice, the Holy Spirit. You might even have some ideas of what to do. Wait for the Holy Spirit to confirm it, that those are from God. Because I don't care how noble it may seem. If it's the wrong decision, you don't want to do that. All right? For those of you that are seated around them, Apparently, because you're seated, you faced these things before and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. I want you just to either move over next to them if you're seated by them or just stand up and go over to them. I want you to lay hands on them. And I'm going to pray. And I simply want you that are laying hands on them to agree with my prayer. And those that are standing, I want you to just take my prayer and make it real at this moment. Whatever I pray inside yourself, just go, Amen. I'll do that. And then... I want to say this, when the answer comes and you know what to do, why don't you turn it in as a praise report for the church? Let the pastor know, let the leadership know that I waited on the mind of the Lord and God came through. Satan, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke you. All this pressure is coming from you. God does not pressure us to make a decision. Now he gives us plenty of time. So Satan We are making up our mind right now. God, in the name of Jesus, we take this problem and we simply put it into a jail cell. And it's in holding right now until we hear from you. And Father, if it takes a month or a year to hear from you, our problems will just have to wait. Father, we will wait on you. We are in a situation where we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you again that you come through. Holy Spirit, we're going to lean on you and wait on you. Our hearts are open. Father, in the meantime, we're going to pray in the Spirit until we hear from you. And also, Father, in the meantime, when the answer comes, we're going to be more mature. Father, we're going to be more grown up. And Father, we're going to be able to handle this thing in a much better way. Thank you for your strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we praise you. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand, shall we? Amen. All right.
Pastor, I'll turn it over to you.